to the podcast and I hope this finds you well. In today's podcast, I'm going to be speaking with Carly Hauk and Carly is a teacher at Stanford and she is an executive coach working with individuals and teams and um, kind of company-wide transformation. She's worked with clients like LinkedIn and Pixar and Bank of the West and she's also an author. We're going to talk about her new book in this podcast. We're going to dive into, you know, transformation itself. Like what happens when we go through a kind of dark night experience, you know, these like intensely transformative periods. Carly will vulnerably share about hers and I share about the one I'm in at the moment. And we're going to talk about the role that coaches are playing in these times. We'll talk about conscious leadership. Really, this is the topic of Carly's book, Shine. And so we'll talk about conscious leadership and the qualities that Carly sees are important in conscious leaders and how can we begin to embody those qualities. So we talk about a lot. I hope you enjoy this podcast. As usual, if you feel like sharing this podcast, that'd be awesome. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to, you can go to coachesrising.com, scroll down, you'll find the sign-up box and stick your name in there and you'll stay in the loop about all the other things we create that aren't this podcast. So that all being said, here's the podcast with Carly Hauk. So Carly, I'm uh, really excited to be with you today. We're going to be talking about the work you do as a as a coach and as somebody who helps organizations transform and thrive in these times and also your new book shine and so um yeah how, how are you doing first of all how's things i know it's early for you it's a little early in california um but i feel excited for this conversation and grateful to be able to talk with you thank you for inviting me so I'd, I'd like to kind of situate uh, our conversation about the work you do in the wider context of the world and these times that we find ourselves in. And so uh, maybe the, the first question I would, I would ask you is, um, how are you uh, seeing the role that coaches can play in supporting leaders in these times, like what is the call for coaches in these times? I guess that's my, that's my question as someone who, you know, you're working with all these uh, multinational, large organizations around the world, leader CEOs. Um, what are you seeing as the call for coaches in these times? Mm-hmm. Well, there's definitely been a rise as far as I can tell um, with the online and digital and virtual option of coaches. And I feel like, you know, that really has increased in the midst of the pandemic since 2020. And I feel like a big part of that is helping leaders and managers really navigate things they've never had to navigate. And a part of that is that with all of our teams being distributed now, there is a greater need for connection and engagement and care. And a lot of leaders historically have not maybe 
had the emotional labor or burden that they have had now to really be able to check in with their direct reports with their team members about all aspects of life. You know, how, how are you doing at home? How are you navigating this? That might not have ever really been part of the conversation. It was more about, okay, these are our deliverables. This is what needs to get done. What do you need for me to get this done? But we're bringing our whole selves to work more than we ever have, um, just in the sense that we're all home and we're all going through this very collective experience of the pandemic. And it has different variations depending on where we are and our own unique circumstances, but there is a collective shared lived experience that we're all navigating. And I feel like the responsibility and the opportunity for leaders and managers to show up strong for themselves, but for their teams requires additional support. And that's where coaching can really enable that. Yeah, it's interesting. As you share that, I'm just thinking about how I will be downstairs with my young daughter and my family, and then I'll literally, you know, I'll come upstairs to work, you know, in the space of seconds. Mm -hmm. And, you know, without that ritual of perhaps, say, traveling to an office space or a place where I'm working, you know, that transitionary space and time. And so, you know, in that sense, it just reminds me of like, we're literally bringing, you know, our, our whole selves to work in a way that we've never, never done before. Mm-hmm. So, um, and have, have you found as, um, as a coach, have you found that you, you're, the way you coach people has changed in the time of the pandemic and the other kind of crises we've found ourselves in to support people in the way you described? No, uh, I feel like this has really been the way that I've been coaching for a very long time. I have been, so I started my business, my consulting and coaching business in 2010. So it's, it's been, you know, over a decade now. And I actually started as a therapist, you know, my training and background was as a therapist, but I also got my master's in organizational development. And then I was also studying uh, health psychology as well. So organizational development, organizational psychology, I kind of use those terms interchangeably, but I was really studying the system and change management within the organization. But then I was also studying health psychology, which is really the study of the body and what prevents disease, what causes disease. And I feel like those are synonymous with what's actually happening in a company, because if the leader is off balance and they don't have the qualities and the resources on the inside to lead themselves well, and therefore then to lead the organization, that can breed a toxic culture that can breed a lack of psychological safety and trust and collaboration, depending on how that leader is showing up. And so I have always coached my clients usually in in three different brackets, because I find that they all intersect, which is, you know, what's, what are they coming to me for, right? Like what's the pain point? What's the suffering? 
what's the dis-ease we could say, which usually starts off with something in the workplace, but that always links to something happening at home. And then that always links to their well-being. You know, what are they doing for self-care? And so those three brackets, I really believe, are, are this you know, way that we're supporting all parts of ourselves, our wholeness. And I've always used that lens to work with my clients because you can't coach someone about work and have that be separate from home or from you know, their sleep, their eating, their, the way that they're taking care of the mind, body, heart. It's all connected. And if you're not addressing one, and then it's going to in, impact all the others, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. There's something really interesting about this history you have of like working as a therapist, uh, looking at the uh, health of a person. And you've, I don't know, you've researched into the role of mindfulness in uh, in working with stress and resilience, mm-hmm. but also working, looking at organizational kind of development and how they all fit together in, in, in a sense, like these systems within systems. And is there a sense of resilience or health within the system or not? You know, and I think that's, you know, that's just, these are just skills that coaches need in these times. You know, how can we help our clients to kind of find a sense of integration or, or coherence mm. um, in the turbulence of the world right now, you know, in, the, in those mm-hmm. different brackets you talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let me see what my question is. Um, well, I'm, I'm just curious. Uh, I'm actually just curious as a coach, like what, uh, do you find yourself doing with your coaching clients a lot right now? And I know that, I mean, I guess I'm wondering like what lenses are you looking through with your clients to help them um, thrive in their leadership? You know, and mm-hmm. I know that's always a big question because every client's different and you probably use a lot of different lenses, but I'll just see where you take us with that. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, and I, I also just want to share, you know, you asked me, am I doing anything different, you know, in this time of disruption of transformation, so to speak, um, than I, you know, than I have in the past. And I would say the foundation and the body of, of work that I've been bringing as a coach, but then all the programs that I've developed as a consultant, you know, the many, many learning initiatives, the, I've developed an inclusive leadership development and manager program, which is really the, the essence of my book. You know, the, the, my book comes from that nine month, 10 month program. And I also have created lots and lots of trainings around effective communication. And when I work with teams and senior leaders, I'm always assessing first, what's the psychological safety And if there isn't safety, then how do we create safety and therefore allow everyone to feel included, that they can fail without reprimand, without punishment? I think that's needed even more right now. So this is this has always been a part of my work. But I would say what I'm being asked for right now and what is being needed, um, I think it is 
is just a, a deeper way of connecting with one another amidst, you know, this lack of socialization that we've had because of the pandemic. And so I, to get more specific, I feel like the work I've been doing has all been in preparation, so to speak, for mm. this time. You know, I, my book, which I know we'll talk about a little bit later, I started writing when Trump was first elected. So it was in 2016. And I don't even think like in May of 2020, people would have been ready for my book. I feel like they're ready for it now because there's been a certain adaptation to this new norm that we're in. But everything that I write about in the book was written for this time. So when 2020 hit, um, I had already gone through a major leveling in my life in 2019, like a real dark night of the soul. I know you and I were talking about that before the recording. And I've, I've gone through a lot of challenges personally in my life so that I have to really walk my talk and all the tools and skills that I offer my clients are ones that I have really utilized in my own life and, and still do. It's, it's my toolbox for, you know, being the best human, the best leader that I can be. And I was really ready to be in service in 2020 because I had gone through this major portal of dukkha, we'll say dukkha in the Would in you the be booth. willing to share a bit about that? I, I know uh, full oh, uh, mm-hmm. permission not to, but I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah, it feels tender. So I might not go into it super deeply, but um, there was just a collapsing of things that were in my life. And that all happened at the same time, like relatively Mm -hmm. quickly. So, so basically one thing that happened is I had this large, contract for many years with one company and they had some budget cuts and they were changing direction. And I was in the process of finishing writing my book at that time, the end of 2018. Um, And I didn't really see that coming. So it, it felt like a relationship because I had invested so much of my life, my love, um, my energy, into this one company and we were parting ways. <laughs> mm-hmm. So there was, there was a lot of grief around that. And there were also really horrendous fires happening in California. Um, and that, you know, that, that really brings you into a state of survival and, you know, what really matters. Uh, I also had some very difficult interactions with a man that I was dating that required me to, um, I think really just dig very deep and what mattered to me and how I wanted to speak up around hurt and harm so that other women and folks weren't hurt by this man. Mm -hmm. Uh, When you write a book on conscious leadership, the dark will likely come into your life, you know, to, to kind of test you to see what are you really made of? If, if conscious leader or if unconscious leadership, unconscious communities are present, how am I going to respond to that? 
And so I, I learned a lot around my willingness to speak up, to hold community, to hold leaders accountable when there was going to be further, I'll just say it again, hurt and harm towards other individuals. And I think I needed to really have a felt sense of that so that I could stand for that even, even more deeply. And then I also went through a larger re-edit of the book in 2019, which I wasn't expecting. And so there were just a, a few factors that all happened within very close succession of one another that, you know, when, when one thing happens, you kind of like drop to the ground, you know, you, you, you come to your knees a bit and then try to pivot, but they all happened within like a matter of weeks. And so I couldn't actually get off the ground. It was like, boom, boom, boom. I, I call it the trifecta shit show, honestly, <laughs> Joel. <laughs> that was my term for it. <laughs> and, and so it really brought me into this sense of surrender. And I had to, I had to, re, I mean, I reached out to a therapist. I was working with a therapist for quite a while. I had to show up so vulnerably with friends and community um, just at the, at the bottom you know, really, which mm -hmm. was tender for me. And because I tend to, you know, show up pretty strong and competent. And I have a lot of inner resources and I would say a strong inner game, which is what I refer to, you know, in the book a lot and in my work. But I had to dig even deeper. I had to use those tools and skills even deeper. And what I would say was a real gift in this experience and I, I bring this into my work with clients and it's really served me in the pandemic in the work that I do is I had to meet some of the most painful feelings grief loss like extreme fear um, rage despair huge uncertainty like again and again and again and again in myself and when I kept meeting that, and it was incredibly uncomfortable, it was very scary, but I didn't do it alone. I had a therapist. I had some very strong tools. I'd say I had some divine support and guidance because I have a very strong spiritual practice. But on the other side of meeting those feelings was joy, was freedom. And so when 2020 hit and like the whole world was having to go into these huge levels of grief and loss and uncertainty and fear and perhaps rage, it didn't phase me at all. I was like, I've already hit this. <laughs> I've met this. How can I be in service? Like I just was, I jumped right up. I was so ready to just share all these tools and to support people through it. And I feel like that was why I had to go through it, you know, in 2019, so that I could be a light worker, I could be a guide for others. And I'm, I'm still standing in that. I, I really appreciate you, your vulnerability and you being willing to share this. And I think that a lot of people listening will, you know, in their own unique way, of course, be touched, uh, maybe experiencing something like, as you just said, you know, that the world has been pretty crazy in the last 18 months. And um, 
So I think it's really valuable. And I'm just curious, like you said on the other side of it was joy. What, um, what and was freedom, the, I would say freedom. Yeah. 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 Cause I was going to ask like, what, what would the, in, what, how did you transform? How do you see the world differently? Or like, what is it that led to you feeling joy and freedom? Well, there were, there were a few things and it's interesting. I was talking to one of my mentors um, a few weeks ago. So one of my, I've had some really incredible mentors in my life, but one of my stronger teachers and mentors, his name is James Barris. He's in his early seventies and he is one of the co-founders of Spirit Rock Meditation Center, which has been a huge center in my life for my own practice. And I've also taught there and he knows everything about me. (laughs) James Barris. He's like my Dharma dad. And I, I talk about him actually in, in the back of the book and he knows this journey that I've been through, but we hadn't talked in a while. And I was sharing with him some of the gifts and, you know, I, I think living in the Bay area for as long as I had, there's, there's definitely a very competitive spirit here. There's some brilliant people, you know, some of the best of the best that live and work here and create here. And I've been working and teaching at Stanford for over eight years. You know, I've, I've had some incredible opportunity and privilege, you know, as you referred to, um, I've been a lead consultant for some very large studies looking at the intersection of meditation and stress resiliency and well-being. Two of those studies were through UCSF's Osher Center for Integrative Medicine, which is a renowned um, world-class research center. You know, I've, I've worked with premier researchers in that field. And I think that when you get leveled in the way that I did, I didn't realize that there was a lot of attachment to, to this certain, you know, what do I want to call it? Um, the certain ability to make money or, you know, have certain contracts or opportunities. And I think initially when, when this contract, you know, ended, and of course I was going to get more work and work with more companies, but it had me doubt my own worth. You know, my, my, uh, like, it it wasn't personal. It was just business, but because I was so attached to this company and this project, and I put so much of myself into it, I couldn't help but take it a little personally. And, and then there were other things where I, I didn't, you know, land the next contract right away because these things take time. There's, there's business development, there's relationship that needs to be formed and I hadn't been doing a lot of business development because I'd been so focused on this one company and the book and so there was a period of time where you know things were a bit dry professionally for me and it was you know making me doubt my own worth my own ability to be in service and as I kept meeting those feelings again and again and again 
I was really able to just come into this place of worthiness for myself, regardless of how much money I was making, regardless of the client that choose that chose to work with me and just own my self, embrace all these parts of myself more deeply so that no matter how much money I'm making, no matter, you know, whether I'm teaching at Stanford or not, like I am worthy. I have innate gifts and talents that nobody can really define. And I think the more that I can just rest in that in myself, there's a freedom, there's a joy, there's a surrendering of that, if that makes sense. Mm. Oh, it's beautiful. And um, I'm touched by what you share and um you know, considering the questions I started asking you about the role that coaches play in these times and, you know, these times we find ourselves in, um, I'm imagining, you know, what would happen if more people went on a journey like the one you described, mm-hmm. uh, where we became, we found a sense of liberation and a sense of worthiness. And then what that might mean for the way that we collaborate together and mm-hmm. the way we create uh, in the world, you know, and um, I'm also, you know, I'm also struck by how you feel this is, you know, you've already said that then you went through that and now you feel really equipped when 2020 hit, you feel really equipped because um, like I'm, 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 I'll just share, you know, we took, we checked in, I'm in my own kind of dark night process right now. Yeah. And it really hit me, you know, like, uh, like as you as you described, um, I was like, "Oh my god!" Because I've I've been through intense experiences, but this one was different. It was like I was out of control, and it's humbled me. And I'm not on the other side of it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I want, why I'm sharing this, is because um, it. I'm, I'm, I'm now gathering certain, I'm gathering more certainty that this is going to serve me as a, as a facilitator of transformation in the work I do, but it's also given me a sense of compassion and humility, you know, mm-hmm. of what people can go through, you know, and how as coaches, sometimes we, we talk about helping people transform, but you know, like what that can actually be like for people sometimes is, all the things you described to me, you know, what you went through. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, like that, that, well, I'm not quite sure where I'm going with this, but I, but I think it's um, perhaps it just points at how we're all called as coaches into our own deep transformation too, to be able to serve people. But I'll just see what you, where you take what I just said. Yeah. Well, I, there's a few things and thank you for sharing that. And I really appreciated your vulnerability with me before we, you know, started recording this call. But one of the things I also feel like is important as coaches, and this is, you know, how I always lead is we have to meet our clients where they are, even though they may come to us with like, how do I create the most high performing team, which I get asked a lot. Well, we do that by meeting ourselves where we are and meeting everyone else where they are, right? Like we can't get there unless we're present to what's here. 
And so what are the challenges we face as a team? What are the challenges we're facing individually? Um, if someone's going through a real reckoning or real transformation on our team and we don't know that, they can't perform high unless they get the support and the resources that is needed. And so, you know, I, I feel like in the transformation, in the shifts and changes that we individually are going through, but then we see collectively, it requires space. And I, you know, I notice as the world is beginning to open up a bit, as we have these different strains of the vaccine, which are going to support us to go back into the office, to have more socialization, to gather more without this fear of contracting the virus, that we need to bring with us, you know, what we've learned. And we're really in this place of rebuilding work rebuilding our world. And that's gonna require patience and space. And I think a new way of collaborating and not coming from the more is better scarcity mindset that frankly has been pushing us for far too long of how do I achieve more power, more, more material wealth. That's really not what makes us happy at the end of the day. It's this you know, self-worth, which I feel like it, if we've been taking this time to listen, to do the inner work that you and I are both talking to from our own personal experiences, we don't actually need that much to be happy, right? Like we're really, I think, noticing and realigning with what really matters, which is how are we taking care of the mind, body, heart? How are we taking care of and connecting to each other? nourishing our relationships, caring for one another. And then more greatly, how are we taking care of the planet? Because if we're not taking care of the planet, the earth body, which is deeply connected to the human body, then we're not gonna have a flourishing workplace or world if we don't have clean air, if we don't have you know, regenerating soil, if we don't have clean water to drink, and food for everyone, it's, it's all connected. And in this time, we've had, again, the opportunity to look at all of that because we've had space. Hmm. Yeah, I, um, I know these are some of the themes that you explore in your, in your book. And um, I'm just thinking about this journey we're describing, you know, um, that we've both been through and that the client, we support our clients to go through, but we could also perhaps say on a collective level, we might be going through <laughs> and, um, you know, like, um, what I know, I'm curious what you think about this. Cause what I noticed with, um, it's kind of like this idea of the paradoxical nature of change, but how um, the real transformation with my clients happened when we were able to create these containers of safety. You, you know, you use that word safety and inclusiveness. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can talk about that on an organizational level, but also individually, it's like when they were able to, be 
meet themselves where they are, you know, as you described, that's when they started to integrate or, you know, they could allow things that had been in the dark, in the shadow to come into the light. And it was mm -hmm. safe for that to be there mm -hmm. in a way that then it starts to create a sense of integration. And that can lead to a sense of a kind of like, deactivation in some sense you know of like these energies that have been in the um unconscious or in the, in the background that have been like running the system okay. and they start to settle and there's more of this kind of wholeness i know you write about this and then um a kind of inner well-being or worth comes online which is different perhaps in that sense of activation and that was driven perhaps from this sense of um lack or um right. so so that I, I think like i'm trying to paint this picture of like because it feels like coach maybe this is just my bubble but it feels like coaching is changing you know as coaching evolves um perhaps it was more in the style of like bigger more better and perhaps n now there's more of a stream of like meeting people where they are allowing for safety mm -hmm. so that it can be a natural, organic alignment and unfolding. Mm -hmm. okay. I said a lot there, but I'll just. Well, I also hear that that's been your experience and maybe you're noticing it more because it's where you are personally, right? Like sometimes mm -hmm. I feel like, um, and this has often been my experience, if there was something personal that I was going through or that I needed to kind of up level in myself, it seemed like all my clients showed up with that thing. <laughs> like, like this was many years ago. I was really learning how to navigate narcissism. And we have a lot of that in senior leaders and CEOs, but it kept showing up in my personal life, the, the narcissist, so to speak. And, and how was I going to hold that behavior accountable? Cause there's a lot of gaslighting when there's narcissism, you know, they narcissists typically don't take responsibility. They, they weave lots of webs and lies and there's a lot of manipulation. And, and then it seemed like I had five clients that were like, my boss is a narcissist. My husband's a narcissist. My, my coworkers a narcissist, you know, are, are showing up with these qualities. And how do I, how do I circumvent this? How do I stand in my power? How do I speak my truth and have people listen? And it just, it was this greater opportunity for me to really, you know, learn that more deeply for myself, which I was already in and then share that with my clients. And so, you know, going back to what you were sharing, you're going through this very deep transformation right now. And so you're meeting yourself where you are more and more and more versus maybe, you know, where you were pushing yourself to be because of the societal constructs of, you know, what, what success or what happiness is supposed to look like, right? Which tends to be this, this outer piece of how much money am I making? You know, what institutions am I affiliated with? How many clients do I have? You know, what do I look, on the, look like on the outside? But rather, what's really happening on the inside? You know, how do I feel on the inside? And, and orienting more to my self-worth, my well-being, and then meeting your clients in that place. That's, that's kind of what I hear has been a shift for you. Does, did I articulate that correctly or? 
would you say? I, that I would say, I would say, yeah. And, and, and for me, um, more than what society wants, it's like, what's the, because I feel like I've been through a shift like that. This mm-hmm. one's more like, Oh, I've been living. So, so then I created like, Oh, who am I? Like, mm-hmm. you know, who, what do I believe in? What do I stand for in this world? Mm-hmm. And it's that now that's um, up for me. That's, that's beautiful. I love you know, that. So now, yeah. So now it's like, uh, if you a, a year ago, I'd have been like, this is why I'm creating in the world. This is what I stand for. This is my purpose. And now I'm like shaky on all of that, you know, all that mm. sense of self that was constructed, which felt more, more wholesome than society's beliefs that were inherited, you know, from growing up and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so there, that's what I would add to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, hey, um, let, let me ask you about your book then. Um, would that be okay? I would love that. Yeah. Because uh, I know uh, you've got this book out. And um, can you tell us the title of the book? Sure. So the book is called Shine. Ignite your inner game to lead consciously at work and in the world. And my publisher sounds true. And I feel really grateful to be part of the sounds true family, which has a lot of incredible authors, spiritual teachers, um, one being Thomas Hubel, who is a friend of both of ours, Hmm. whose latest book on healing collective trauma just came out a few months before mine. Great. And um, perhaps let's let's explore it. So, uh, and we've probably been talking about this to an extent, but I just love the simple questions like, what is conscious leadership for you? Sure. Well, I really think of conscious leadership as being kind of this new operating model of wholeness. We've been speaking to that, but it's really, you know, embracing all of our parts and really igniting these qualities of consciousness from the inside so that they really shine on the outside. So this is where I come back to the inner game. So the inner game really rules the outer game. And I'm I'm not the first person to use the term inner game. It was initially, I think, referred to back in the 80s when it was used as more of a sports metaphor, like the inner game of tennis. But, you know, when I think about the way that I show up and align with what what really matters to me on the outside, that really refers to the inner game. And so like what's steadying and strengthening my mind, my body, my heart, you know, what's supporting me to be curious, to be present, to be courageous, to be resilient, to be loving, that's the inner game. And I've worked with thousands of individuals and hundreds of managers and leaders in the last decade in my work with LinkedIn and Pixar and Cliff Bar and Genentech and you know Asana, my students at Stanford at Haas Business School. And what I have found is the embodiment of conscious leadership tends to be comprised of these six qualities or skills. And I, you know, I could have picked many, but these are the six I've seen over and over again. And so I I write about these in the first six chapters of the book, which is 
self-awareness. You know, we can't change what we don't see. So going back to the conversation we're having is, you know, often when we're working with coaches, coaches rather, we're really shining the light, ease that word, on maybe the blind spots, the darkness that, that maybe they're not aware of that are showing up in their actions. And so how do we increase their self-awareness so they have more choice in how they showed up and how they respond? So self-awareness is, is number one. Then there's emotional intelligence. Emotional intelligence really refers to our ability to self-manage, to be aware of the other's feelings and needs as well as our own, and then to really support greater empathy and then relationship mastery. Resilience is another inner game skill or quality that we can be deepening and growing. Well-being is one of the inner game qualities. How are we really paying attention to self-care? And then by really focusing on our own well-being, we're actually able to support the well-being of others, but then also to be connected to the well-being of the planet because they're all, they're all in a system that are integrated and then love how are we leading from love you know in ourselves which is having more compassion forgiveness love for ourselves and then how is that extended outward with our communities with our team members with the world and then lastly authenticity you know coming back to what am i standing for what really matters to me and again embracing all the messy parts of ourselves sometimes and letting that be okay. And the more that we can embrace those parts of ourselves that aren't always, you know, so put together, then when somebody else shows up as messy, we don't other them. You know, we, we actually are able to see them as ourselves and we can have greater connection and collaboration and compassion for them. And that supports more inclusion. You know, there's, there isn't reprimand, there isn't punishment because they're not triggering us because we see this part of them that we don't like because we haven't embraced it in ourselves. We're able to go, oh, they're being kind of selfish right now or they're being, they're being pretty reactive right now. And then saying, well, when have I been like that? And letting that be okay. Maybe holding that behavior accountable, but we don't have to shame them for showing that because we have that too. So those are, those are the six self-awareness, emotional intelligence, resilience, well-being, love, authenticity. And from that and growing that on the inside, this way of being a conscious and inclusive leader, you know, for ourselves, but then for our workplaces and our world, we can create greater harmony. We can rebuild our world together we can heal the collective trauma, so to speak, that is so needed right now. Yeah, yeah, um, really, because I'm curious how um, you find, you said like this came out of all the work I've done. So in a way you've answered my question, but I was gonna ask like how ready or open to this kind of work do you find that companies are these days, you know, cause I just say that um, a lot of these qualities to me are, are kind of feminine 
perhaps normally associated associated with feminine qualities and i don't mean female but i mean like we each have feminine masculine within us and maybe like the business world has often perhaps had perhaps more masculine qualities and so i'm just curious for you how open you find the world of business where a lot you know that could actually enact a lot of powerful change in the world how open they are to this kind of work in these times I feel like they're more open to it than they ever have been before because of the huge disruption that we've been in, you know, that there has been a deeper surrendering to having to kind of be in the moment because we've had to navigate so many changes, so much uncertainty, you know, often, you know, there's a term called VUCA which I don't know if you've heard of, but the, mm-hmm. but it, it's an acronym which really stands for volatility, uncertainty, ambiguity, complexity. Actually, I, I reversed it. Let me let me do it in order. <laughs> volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity, VUCA, <laughs> a VUCA world. And so we've all been navigating that. And change is inevitable, right? Impermanence is constant. But I think because there have been so many changes so quickly and they've been big changes, we've all been a bit unsteady. And, and based on that, we've had to kind of let go of what we think, you know, business needs to be or how we think we need to show up. And so I feel that based on that, there's been a lot more emotion. There's been a lot more discomfort. There's been more vulnerability needed. And so we're recognizing that these soft skills of how do we relate to one another? How do we relate to ourselves are more important than they ever have been to navigate what we're going through individually and collectively. But I also think that as we, you know, are getting ready to reopen, there are some old mindsets that are, that are showing up. I, I recently had a conversation last week with a colleague of mine who works at a very big tech company, which I won't name. And she was speaking to me pretty openly and saying, you know, Carly, we really need you and your support. And they're really interested in creating a more inclusive workplace. But the woman that I would be reporting to and working for is going very, very fast. And she, you know, is, is kind of still in that, I, I can just feel it. She's still in this scarcity mindset of like, we need to do this really quickly. We have to have the, the best inclusive culture and manager development program out of all the other tech companies, you know, because we want to be the best. We want to stay on top. And I'm like, you know what? Speed does not support inclusion. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you know, inclusion needs space because the space creates the safety for us to develop the trust to show up fully to say you know these are parts of myself that I want to share that requires we listen we pay attention and it doesn't mean that we can't be trying to meet our objectives but the pace that this woman was going I thought is there a way that I can reflect this to her? Is she open to that? Can we actually see that this old way of going, you know, fast, 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 
what is what is the driver of that? Because it feels like it's scarcity based. And this company is has billions of dollars. Like, you know, yes, there's always going to be companies that are younger and, and coming up um, behind them. But if we're leading from that place of fear, of afraid that someone's going to take our position, that doesn't feel very conscious. That doesn't feel like we have the right motivation. You know, like how could we change our motivation to be best for the world instead of how can we stay on top and how can we have the most power and the most likes and whatever it is. So I, I feel like there's, there's still a shift that's needed. And I, I feel like it requires those of us to push back, to say, no, that wasn't working. That was actually creating, you know, degradation to the environment, that way of being, that was actually causing more toxicity in the workplace. That was annihilating well-being. That was causing burnout. Is that really what we want to aim for? For the sake of what? I don't feel like that's the way. So I'm a stand for no <laughs> on that. Uh, I'm a no to that because I don't think it's going to get us to where we want to be. In fact, I'm not even a think. I'm a no. I, I know that's not going to get us to where we want to go and where we want to be. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. And um, sometimes I, you know, it seems to be more and more this is being acknowledged and then I wonder how much I live in a bubble, you know, and if I go back out um, into the world, I mean, not that I'm not out into the world, but, you know, like, where is the edge of that bubble that I live inside of? And is that bubble expanding in a sense? And my sense yeah. is it is um, that, that more and more people feel this way. But um, but there's a mindset, yeah. really, that I feel like needs to be challenged. You know, it's like there's the old way that has been driving us for so long in business. And that's also being driven by the individual leader. You know, it's, it's all connected. But then how do we speak up as coaches in truth and in love? Because I feel like they have to be intertwined to reflect back what we see to the leaders that we're working with, to our clients, do you really want to operate from this way? Like, what's the motivation behind this thought? It's usually fear. And fear is not based in truth. It's based in fear. So how do we challenge the fear and then, and then invite that person to respond from the wise place inside of them, which is not motivated by fear. It's usually motivated by love, you know, because fear, um, fear is the opposite of love. And what if we were leading from more love within ourselves for each other, for the world? Well, then our actions would be oriented towards generosity, towards empathy, towards how do we create a workplace in a world that works for everyone? That's what I'm standing for. Mm. And that's really the essence of the book. Yeah. Yeah. I really took that, that away from the book and, you know, I think this is becoming part of the the conversation in the coaching world. You know, um, not long ago, I spoke with Hetty Einzig and Sir John Whitmore was one of her colleagues. And, you know, of course, he was 
and but and her and her book, The Future of Coaching, talk about the role of a coach as a provocateur, you know, challenging these long-held assumptions about the way we do business, the way we work. Mm-hmm. And I think in the systemic approaches to coaching now, like the, you know, people like uh, Peter Hawkins is bringing in the environment as a kind of person in the coaching conversation in the room, you know, so mm. it seems to be coming in more, which I think is, is good. I mean, you know, there's always the way we do that. We have to be careful with, but um, yeah. And so um yeah, like how, I, well, let me ask you this, like I'm uh, in your coaching. I know I asked you about your coaching practice and this will come back to your book as well, I think, but I'm just curious, you, I know you train in mindfulness and you, you write about self-awareness and I wonder how much in your coaching sessions you do, you work um, in a kind of, in a, in a mindful way with your clients, you know? Um, to include their felt experience, their emotional intelligence, and to give them a felt experience of resilience or not in in the session itself. Like, is that something that you're, or, or even love and authenticity and well-being, you know, like those are all for me, like really, all really like embodied words, you know? And I'm just wondering how much in your coaching sessions you work in that way, like having people touch into those experiences in the session itself. Very much so. I love that you brought that in. You know, one of the the biggest orientations of mine is that I'm a feeler. I I have a lot of empathy. I feel what's happening in the room with my clients, even in a virtual space. Like I can feel the emotions present in them. I can feel what's happening in their body. It's it's been a gift and a curse for me because <laughs> I often have to just stay very centered in my own experience while I'm actually noticing what's happening for everyone else. But it's helped me to be a really powerful facilitator as well because I'm always present to what's in the room. And so just to give an example, you know, a lot of the work that I do these days is, is actually more larger scale transformation. So I'm often brought in by the CEO or the senior, you know, VP of HR, the chief of staff, senior L&D, um, based on some suffering that's happening in the company. You know, people aren't getting along. Um, there's a huge reorg. They're not communicating effectively. And so I'm usually given a lot of information and then I create interventions. I really think of for healing you know, to, to bring back balance, to bring more ease, resilience, health to the folks working on the inside, but then also to the greater company. And within those trainings, facilitations, there's inevitably coaching. You know, I'm working with senior leaders to get buy-in. There's often group coaching, team coaching as part of that because I'm engaged in much larger level, um, you know, programs and whatnot. Uh, In one of the companies that I was working with, I created an inclusive manager development program, which I rolled out to 500 managers over the course of three years. But within that, there's coaching. So I'll, and this comes back to the felt experience and the emotional intelligence. So last week I was working with a senior leader and his team and 
I have been working with Amy Edmondson and her team, the Fearless Organization. And one of the first things that I do when I'm brought in with a leader or with a team is I assess the psychological safety. So how safe do people feel to bring their whole selves, to share openly about their feelings, their needs, to give feedback without reprimand, without punishment. If there's low psychological safety, there is not going to be high performance. There's going to not be the greatest ability to collaborate, to innovate, to really get to where that company wants to go because they can't speak openly with one another. And so I'm always assessing that first. And then I share what I find in this assessment with the team. So last week I was doing a debrief, a two hour debrief um, with this particular team, with this leader that I'd been working with for the last year. And what was found in the debrief was that, you know, and this is pretty normal, that there were certain parts of the assessment where they scored relatively high in psychological safety, but the place that they didn't score high was in their willingness to fail and be seen, you know, by the team in making mistakes and failing. And we got into it deeper and understood why that was present. But one of the things that arose in this debrief was this real sense of care um, and respect that the team members had for the senior leader that was, you know, that was leading this team. And, you know, th there were things that were said like appreciation, gratitude. And I had everyone in this debrief and this really team coaching experience drop in and, and feel, like I said, let's just pause. You know, we've had a lot to share. Let's just pause and feel into our bodies. What's the physical sensations that are arising? What's the you know, emotion that is here. And then I asked each person to actually share that in the space, in the room. And there was such a deeper sense of connection and care and vulnerability that was opened up. It was, it was quite lovely and a real softening that was brought in. And these are all, you know, director level leaders, you know, they're, they're high up in the echelon of this company, but there was a humanity that was brought in and a deeper level of we're in this together. This is why I am invested in this team. This is why I wanna show up the best that I can for this team because I care about these people. These are my teammates, they have my back. But if we, if we bypass that emotional piece, which is really what bonds us, I think, to a deeper extent, that's the intimacy that we get to experience in relationship then we're missing out on this human connection that we, that we all are craving, like this, this desire to belong, right? Yeah. Uh, sorry, are you finished? I, I yes. just got inspired. Yes. Yeah. Cause I, um, yeah, it's such a big piece, isn't it? You know, it's so much comes into play when we're able to feel in that way because uh, it's like human connection and also just like meaning and and simple like appreciation of 
of like life as it is in, in simple ways, you know, like our connection to the, the natural world around us, um, children or so on. I think it comes back to this theme for me of like slowing down a bit, you know, and, and, you know, instead of like, if we're disconnected emotionally in, in our felt experience, then we can get back into that speed you talked about. And then suddenly we're like amped up again. And, you know, our, our sense of like meaning or satisfaction or well-being becomes quite narrow. And um, yeah, so, so there's, it's such a huge piece for me, what you share there about the connection and, the, and, the, and people feeling, including emotion and feeling. So Carla, you maybe you could tell us about the online event that you've got coming up soon. Wonderful. Thank you, Joel. So as part of my virtual book launch, I am moderating and hosting four free community events. And we've had the first one, but there's going to be one a month. And it's really around the core themes of my book, how to be a conscious and inclusive leader, creating a workplace in a world that works for everyone and living in greater harmony with the planet, which is the essence of the book. And the next panel is on March 26, and it's titled The Role of Male Allies in Creating Cultures of Inclusion and Belonging. And I feel so excited about this conversation. You know, it's, it's really about this piece that you were asking me about before of, you know, our company is really embracing more of this feminine way of being and leading. And I, I think that they are more than ever because the more is better, the faster, you know, pushing, 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 which doesn't give us the space to be, to breathe, to play is not working. And when we think about, you know, this greater intention for companies to create more inclusion at work, it actually requires men who historically have had the most social capital influence and power in organizations to be allies for women, for people of color, for LGBTQ, for marginalized identities, so that we can have a more equitable workplace and so that there is a way that men are sponsoring these groups that typically have not had as much power and that they're willing to raise their voices. They're willing to sponsor, mentor. And that is, I think, the paradigm that we're needing. And the men that I have been speaking to in the research of my book, because male allyship is a bigger component in the book, they're really revisioning manhood. They're wanting to embrace the more vulnerable aspects of being human as a man, which, which typically have not been acceptable. You know, anger, passion has been an acceptable emotion for men to express. But weaknesses, uh, or, or the weaker emotions, I should say, you know, such as maybe expressing sadness or fear have not been embraced, but that's part of being human. And so we're going to get into this more, this topic, um, you know, what is this new version of manhood and how is that supporting 
more inclusion and belonging at work and in the world. And so that's the first panel. And I would love to have everyone that wants to come join us. And if you can't make the live call, a recording will be sent out later. Um, I have two other events that are coming up as well. There's one in April, which is going to be on gender equity in the future of work. And this is actually talking to a group of women and having it be, you know, women of color and different lived experiences. And then lastly, we're going to be speaking in May on how to be a climate optimist, because many of us feel overwhelmed by what's happening with the earth. And when we look at the statistics around climate change and how do we get to this, you know, clean energy economy and what are all the feelings that arise in that? And so we're going to be talking to how we embrace that, how we can all be leaders, regardless of title of hierarchy, so that we can create, you know, the world that we really want to be living in. So these are some really inspiring conversations with really incredible speakers and leaders in these spaces. And I would love to have people join us. And again, if you can't attend, a recording will be sent to you. And people can go there and sign up at carlyhelp.com slash community dash events. And I'm sure you'll leave a link in the show notes for folks to sign up. Yeah, great. And also I imagine they can find out more about your book there as well. At the, yes, the they can. You just gave. Yeah. Great. Hey, Carly. So thanks so much uh, for joining me today. And I really appreciate the, you know, the way you showed up on this call, you know, for me, it made it such a rich call. So I just want to thank you and, and wish you well in the work you're doing. Thank you so much, Jeff. It was really lovely to meet you and I appreciate your support of me and my work in the book. And I, I look forward to staying connected and, and hearing how this all unfolds for you. I, yeah. I'm really here to be a resource and a friend if you would like that. Uh, thank you. Yeah. I'm touched by that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool. Hey, um, I'll cut it there. And so there, there we go. Just wanted to let yeah. you know. And I know you've got to head off now, so I'll keep in touch and I'll let you know when it goes online. I would love that. And, and I was really genuine. Like, I'd love mm -hmm. to stay in touch. And if there's a way I can support you, I mean, it sounds like you're, you're getting a lot of support, but, you know, going through something similar, you know, it, it can feel can feel a little foggy sometimes of like, you know, what's the next step? And we don't really know where we're headed. You know, there's, there's like, I don't know about you, but I'm, I imagine, you know, there's a light, you know, there's, there's a, there's a portal, so to speak, that you're going through, but you don't know where it's going to lead. And sometimes that can bring up a lot of emotion. Yeah. And just totally. <laughs> That's exactly what it's like. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, thanks. Well, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, a lot of the things you shared resonated with me, you know, when you were talking about your experience. So, mm -hmm. um, so I might be in touch. Yeah, I really appreciate you, you making that offer. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Cool. Thank you again, Joel. It's really lovely to meet you. You too. Here we are. We're at the end of the podcast. Just a, a heads up again. If you're not on our mailing list and you want to stay in the loop about other things we create, then head to coachesrising.com, put your name in the sign-up box there. You'll also find some of our other offerings, our online trainings for coaches there. And 
Just want to end by wishing you well, and I'll see you again next time. Bye.